So tonight I'm going to speak further on compassion, building on Heather's instructions from this afternoon. And I'd like to begin with my own story of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, heard from, I think, Heather and Sylvia already. So it's really a story about uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's embodiment of the Brahma Viharas, these four divine abodes, the embodiment of loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. So in my job at the airport, sometimes I get the opportunity to meet dignitaries, and usually I have no interest. And when I heard about six or seven years ago that His Holiness the Dalai Lama was flying into San Francisco International Airport, where I work, I uh, made plans to come in on a Saturday. And uh, it was worth it. It was about a 10-hour flight from Japan he was arriving on, and uh, he arrived at the International Terminal, but he doesn't have to go through customs like the rest of us because he is a head of state. He's still treated that way. Uh, So I met him down on the uh, pavement area, and he um, came down the stairs from the jetways where where I met him, and I just expected to bow to him, that that would be the experience. And I thought that would be enough. And it was just uh, his secret service, his own secret service, U.S. Secret Service, police, about 40 people. A lot of protection. (laughs) And uh, he came down the stairs, and really I was so deeply moved, inspired. He just embodied this presence of happiness, joy, great peace, presence of great loving kindness. And I bowed to him when he came down the stairs. And then he took my hand. I hadn't expected that. And shook my hand. And one of the police officers who I know had a camera. I didn't expect that either. So he took a photo. And while the photo was being taken, I said that I was a practitioner. And I thought that was the end. His Holiness the Dalai Lama walked about 70 feet to his car, moves very slowly, very carefully. And then he turned and he looked back at me. And I thought, he can't be looking at me. (laughs) But what do you do when you think His Holiness the Dalai Lama is looking at you? And you bow. And I bowed. And he signaled me over. So I walked over and he took my hand again. And just this very simple question, set so deeply moving for me. And I think he knew what the impact would be. He simply asked, tell me, I want to know, how long have you been practicing? That was it. And I answered and just felt like this great blessing and that he was so connected, so present, so filled with kindness and compassion that one simple exchange after a 10-hour flight, that he took the time to call me over and make the human connection. On my desk at work, the only photo I have is of His Holiness the Dalai Lama and my standing next to him. And uh, as he was pulling away and leaving, a police officer took a photo of me standing watching. And I have to say it's a photo with the greatest, deepest level of peace on my face of any photo of myself I've ever seen. A profound impact on me. And uh, 
we can really draw upon these experiences in our life with benefactors or others who inspire us, either in person or in other forms, to really motivate our practice, inspire faith, confidence in our practice, and this practice of love and kindness. I love to think of it as a blessing practice, that every phrase is like a blessing, blessing to and from the heart. I'd like to begin with a quote on compassion from Minga Rinpoche. Compassion is a spontaneous wisdom of the heart. It's always with us. It always has been and always will be. When it arises in us, we've simply learned to see how strong and safe we are. The spontaneous wisdom of the heart. It's often described as a quivering of the heart in response to seeing or experiencing suffering. And the strongest wish for that suffering to end or for the suffering to subside. It's a wise response of the heart for the suffering either being experienced here in ourselves or the suffering of others. And it requires both the acknowledgement and the opening to the suffering that we've been emphasizing. And I'll refer back to this throughout the talk. So acknowledging, opening to, and the deepest wish for that pain or suffering to end. So we've all experienced compassion in ordinary ways, probably experienced compassion almost certainly on this retreat. So I'll just give a story from a few weeks ago that a friend told me, just a simple act of compassion. That he was present, mind wasn't distracted, he was open to seeing suffering. And he was just driving through the streets, driving down a street in San Francisco, saw a little dog, 20 pound dog or so, on the curb. He thought it looked very, very scared, looked like a lost dog. And so he registered, he registered the suffering. And he opened to it, he stopped his car, got out, dog came up to him, was clearly a lost dog. And my friend looked at the dog collar, saw the phone number, drove the dog two or three miles. The dog had really traveled a ways. And when he got there, the dog ran out into the, into the house, but the dog took time to come back again as my friend was leaving, just to give him a lick on the face. Uh, very sweet. But it illustrates this acknowledgement, this opening to sometimes the action that follows when there's, when there's compassion. Sometimes the action is appropriate, sometimes not. So we're really drawing words from my partner. I spoke to my partner, Bernard, last night. We're leading with the heart. And this is an insight that came from him when he um, was telling me about salsa lessons he's taking. I'm not a dancer. I flunked square dancing in sixth grade. So he, he's doing this on his own. But he told me he learned in his dance class not to lead with his feet, of course, not to lead with his head, but to lead with the heart center. And it occurred to me that's what we're doing here. We're allowing the heart to lead us. We're allowing, not making anything happen, not doing, not making or doing compassion. We're cultivating compassion and we're allowing compassion to arise 
creating the conditions for loving kindness to develop, strengthen the continuity of practice to, to really strengthen with our practice over the week. And from that depth of loving kindness, compassion becomes a spontaneous response of the heart in response to suffering. We can really use the sense of acceptance to balance the suffering that's known that may arise in practice, maybe the physical pain, maybe difficult emotions, difficult stories of our lives, and holding that with acceptance with a degree of equanimity that you'll hear more about in a couple of days, the calm, peaceful acceptance of the heart, the acceptance that the present moment can't be any different than it is. That really helps to balance the difficulties when they arise. So as I said, compassion doesn't mean necessarily taking an action. It may just be being present for the suffering that's being known, trusting the heart, trusting the heart to lead. So compassion is supported by right intention, these qualities of renunciation, renouncing, in effect, needing anything, we renounce needing anything that is not loving kindness. That's a form of renunciation we take here. And the second aspect of right intention of loving kindness, that it's the very heart of our practice on this retreat. And the intention of non-harming, the third aspect of right intention. So these really all support our practice and allow the spontaneous arisings of not only compassion, but also the Brahma Vihara of empathetic joy and of equanimity. So from the heart of compassion, we can really bear witness and we can find that strength and safety we may not have thought we had. And we're creating the conditions here for that safe sense of safety to arise creating a spaciousness with a cultivation of loving kindness, ultimately cultivating a boundless quality of loving kindness. We create the spaciousness for the purification process to unfold and find that greater courage and safety um, than we might have thought we had. So wisdom and compassion are often described as the wings of awakening, the two wings of awakening that they go together. So compassion, um, compassion naturally arises when wisdom is present, when there's an understanding of the way things are, when we understand the present moment can't be different than it is, that suffering is universal, first noble truth, that there is suffering, that peace is possible in any moment, the third noble truth, when there's no clinging, no wanting, no craving, no needing things to be otherwise. Peace is possible in any moment. When the wisdom is present, the heart is naturally open. The loving kindness is naturally opening to a sense of being, as um, Donald referred to last night, being loving kindness rather than doing loving kindness. Practice flows in that direction. And wisdom naturally arises when compassion is present. So this is a 
the, the way in which metta and mindfulness are intertwined, they, they go together. We're developing both qualities as we practice this loving kindness. So compassion can manifest in a way where we feel genuinely moved. You know, I tell this story where I just felt this, the genuine movement of the heart uh, to open to the suffering, to acknowledge the suffering fully. Uh, this is a story from a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Christmas evening. And uh, I like to do a walk every night just before I go to bed. And it's a kind of a meditative walk. I don't walk to go anywhere. I don't walk to exercise. I just walk with the intention of being present. And I'd been practicing loving kindness for the last few weeks in preparation for this retreat, really cultivating those qualities. And on this walk, I uh, was walking on Market Street in San Francisco. I live a half block away from Market Street. A lot of homeless on Market Street. That's just a big part of, and a daily part of my life, to see homeless people. And on this, this night, I saw someone sleeping under an ATM machine, right by the ATM machine, and, uh, under a blanket, one blanket, very, one of those very cold nights, a little bit like tonight. Um, and his uh, shoes were off, his feet were shaking. And... Um, just a spontaneous quiver of the heart to that suffering. And it stopped me in my tracks. I stopped and he poked his head out from under the cover and I said, are you okay? Are you cold? Do you need anything? And the words just came out of that place of compassion. It wasn't a thinking about whether this is the right thing to do, an evaluative function the spontaneous wisdom of the heart. So just allowing it to happen, letting the heart lead the way. He said to me uh, uh, that he was cold. He said, I'm cold and I need a hamburger. <laughs> no restaurants open on Christmas night. So, But my impulse was to give, to offer generosity. And I went back to my house and brought him um, some clothes, a pair of long underwear, socks, a sweatshirt. It's not something I ordinarily do. I've done it before, but it was probably a year since I've done something like that. And, um, you know, the mind did its tricks. I was walking back to my house, and the mind thoughts arose of, oh, maybe he's shaking because he's on drugs. Maybe he shouldn't do this. Maybe he shouldn't give money to the homeless. And these are just thoughts, just seeing these as thoughts, not attaching to them, letting them go. Staying with the impulse, staying with the clarity of a heart of loving kindness, sticking with the spontaneous wisdom of the heart to relieve suffering. So taking that action. And I, I don't know that I'll, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. I see six or eight people, homeless people on one block and on Market Street. So I, I probably won't change my habits. Um, but I'm going to listen to the heart, let the heart lead the way. And uh, sometimes those expressions just naturally happen from, from the heart of compassion. So we trust the heart. 
compassion stands in opposition to cruelty, uh, which as Heather said, is the far enemy, wishing harm or causing harm to others. I think of it as a real profound disconnection from the heart, profound disconnection from the qualities of the Brahma Viharas. And you think of the terrorists in the world or Assad in Syria who's attacking his own people. This is very painful display of cruelty, the far enemy of compassion. And the uh, near enemy is, is pity, 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 as Heather said. And I watch for this, this pity that acknowledges the suffering but doesn't deeply connect with the suffering. It may be a warning bell that I use is uh, there can be a sense of seeing the suffering, but a sense of, I'm glad that's not me. A real sense of separation. And I really feel the eh, yuck when it registers. And um, of course, nothing wrong with that. That's what's arising. We recognize it if that arises, acknowledging the suffering that's taking place and feeling the pity, offering ourselves compassion and returning to the practice. So I also think of uh, near enemies that kind of the underlying force of fear and aversion, anger, jealousy, that when fear is present, there's a real constriction of the heart. And it constricts the opening to really feel the suffering that may be present. Guilt's the same way. When guilt is present, there's that real tightening and a sense of the I taking center stage. So again, our call in practice is to say, as Sylvia says, sweetie, I'm suffering. Acknowledge the suffering. May I be free of the suffering. Perhaps using the compassion phrases that Heather offered this afternoon. I feel the suffering. May the suffering subside. So those are tools we can use for these enemies of compassion, these underlying enemies of compassion that block the heart. So we, we need to open and recognize these, to acknowledge, open to the suffering that's present, um, and then use a tool of compassion to support the practice of loving kindness. And we offer the forgiveness practice as well as a tool, kind of as a tool in the toolbox that are used to continue to cultivate, incline the heart and mind to loving kindness. So metta can be thought of as a neighbor to compassion, one of the Brahma Viharas. And there's this beautiful quality of the Brahma Viharas where when one Brahma Vihara is present, strongly present, the other factors can spontaneously arise in response to conditions. So you might think of someone like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who has, may have great equanimity most of the time, sense of great peace. Perhaps 
great loving kindness too, depth of loving kindness. And you may be hearing someone tell him about a story of suffering and feeling real and then naturally open to feel compassion for that. And turn and see a happy, smiling baby and feel empathetic joy. They just can arise spontaneously when one is present. So you may have that experience when the loving kindness is really rolling. You may see someone else on the retreat and see some joy that's being experienced, perhaps as they're looking at nature and feeling joy for their joy. Or you may naturally feel that spontaneous wisdom of the heart when compassion arises. And these Brahma-viharas, these divine abodes, these qualities of the heart, beautiful qualities of the heart, are innate qualities. They really could say innate qualities of the heart of awareness. So we're cultivating and developing, inclining the heart-mind to loving-kindness. But you could say we're really opening these beautiful qualities that are already here in the heart of awareness, where nothing is missing, nothing is missing, nothing is lacking in the heart. I also want to talk about the role of empathy, and empathy is very close to compassion it's empathy is feeling into another person's experience, really connecting with it, but perhaps not quite so deeply as compassion, and perhaps not with that deepest wish for the suffering to end. But the quality of empathy that opens to what another person is experiencing can lead to the deeper experience of compassion, to the deeper arising of compassion. So in uh, this hospice practice I do, I, an important Dharma gate for me and my practice over many years has been being with uh, the dying and being with death. It's a practice that the Buddha in his time recommended for many practitioners, key practice. So it's a Dharma gate for me, it may not be a Dharma gate for you. We all have our own Dharma gates. In my hospice practice, I volunteer five hours every Sunday morning, kind of my church time. And uh, the basic practice is is to sit, listen, and breathe, much like meditation practice. And sometimes I come in to the house, the Zen hospice guest house, And the mind is distracted with thoughts, activities of the day, things that are going to happen next, not quite present for being there. And I use this tool, this quality of metta. I cultivate metta. I sit down with a resident, maybe with a family member, if the opportunity is there to sit quietly. And I just start offering metta for myself. The Buddha saying, no one more deserving of one's love than oneself. Always starting with myself. I come into contact with this beautiful quality of the heart and begin to open. And after some time, usually a sense of empathy opens to feeling what the experience may be like for the other person. Of course, I can't know it exactly. 
I don't know, but having a general sense of empathy that begins to open the heart, that begins to let the heart lead. And sometimes compassion arises, not trying to make compassion arise, but sometimes that the heart just naturally, spontaneously arises with compassion. I've talked to a number of volunteers. We recently had a group of long-term volunteers who got together and we talked about what it's like to be a volunteer. And we all agreed we never show up at the front door saying, I'm going to be compassionate today. (laughs) Doesn't happen. We cultivate the conditions for being present. We use this quality of loving kindness to be more fully present, to let the heart lead the way. And really trust in what comes from the heart. The first few times, first time I was on um, this happened where I suddenly found my hand reaching out and stroking a resident's head and speaking. And, and the words and the actions, much like that experience with a homeless person, didn't come at all from a thinking process, just sprung from the heart of wisdom. And um, it's that, that being of love and kindness that we're cultivating to be present in more and more uh, periods in our lives. And we're such a beautiful practice here on retreat to really cultivate this over sustained period with continuity. Sometimes too in hospice, the the joy and the compassion can arise spontaneously, even in the midst of suffering. And when I'm in that hospice practice, I'm not wishing the circumstances to be different. I'm really accepting things exactly as they are. It may take an action to soothe or calm a resident or a family member, but generally just offering presence and allowing the heart to to lead the way, the rest to simply unfold. I wanna speak to, I've been speaking a lot about suffering, to speak about beauty, speak about the joy that arises spontaneously from the field of metta. And I heard this from several yogis today about the joy they're experiencing, either simply being on retreat here, opening to metta, being here on retreat, maybe appreciating the joy for the things in their lives, for family members and loved ones that are coming up. Joy of the progress on on this path of practice and uh, for these really beautiful qualities of the heart that are being developed. And there's a refinement of attention too, where we open to, to the beauty of nature here such a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, I've certainly found, and perhaps you've found, I've heard this from others, that as time passes, as the practice deepens, we open to see with a sharper lens the beauty of what is here. So we're cultivating a very light quality, lightness of the heart. And there's this beautiful image I saw a few years ago in a... um, museum art exhibit, Egyptian art, of a a weight scale, 
kind of like a, a scale of justice. And on the scale of justice on one side was a feather and the other a heart. And behind the heart was a person depicted who the heart belonged to. And the heart was shown as being lighter than a feather. And I think that's a beautiful image of what we're cultivating. As we, as the heart is purified, we let go of the regrets and remorse, allow the purification to happen, allow the sustained quality of loving kindness to be developed, the lightness of the heart. And with that lightness of the heart, we find that greater strength and courage than perhaps we thought we had. So in addition to the challenges that may come up in practice with emotions, the stories of our lives, with a restlessness that may arise, can open, we may also open, open to suffering around societal issues, around injustices, perhaps around the racial injustices, which are really seem to be coming to light in a big way in our society. And we can really open to suffer the suffering around that and acknowledge the suffering, feel the suffering, and wish the suffering to end. This true, this too, to be held with compassion, the deepest wishes for compassion for the suffering to end. Our gender discrimination, or the environmental crises facing the world. Sometimes I watch too for the warning bells around these issues. I, I can catch the aversion or the distraction or the fear that presents, prevents the opening to fully feeling, opening of the heart, to fully feeling these injustices and allowing the wisdom to arise. I, I've noticed a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a newspaper and saw a headline about sea level rise in an island in the Pacific that was soon going to be underwater. And I found my eyes shifting away. And what's going on here? Oh, this is painful. There's a resistance to opening to this. So catching that in a moment to see the resistance to it. So then, okay, acknowledging the aversion, acknowledging the suffering and choosing to open choosing to, do, to read the newspaper article. I recently really, recently really opened the crisis of human trafficking. Uh, Monday of this week was, uh, I think, the worldwide day for fighting, fighting human trafficking. And I think it was Human Trafficking Awareness Day. A huge problem, and, I, and it's really connecting when, I, when I've heard from a couple of women who have been victims of human trafficking. It's so prevalent in our society, but we don't see it. We somehow choose not to open to this kind of suffering. And it's right present where I work at the airport because my office is four floors up above the customs hall where many victims of human trafficking arrive. And then three floors up from the um, security screening checkpoint as many Many of the victims are moved around the U.S. So it's right there, right below where I'm working.
So a little more on the uh, wings of awakening, there's compassion and wisdom factors, and some of the, just touch on some of the wisdom factors that may be arising from our practice of loving kindness, from the compassion that's arising. So the acknowledgement that there is suffering, that the suffering that arises is universal, this first noble truth. And the acknowledgement of the connectedness of all beings through the universality of suffering, we're all connected. And the wisdom arising that we're all doing the best. We're all doing the best with what we've got. We're doing the best we can. And move so deeply with this so often in hospice practice to see that everybody doing the very best they can. And really that fundamentally it can't be different than it is. No matter what's arising, it's impermanent. Whatever is arising is going to pass. That which has the nature to arise has the nature to pass. And all impersonal, empty. So we can let go of the wanting things to be otherwise needing things to be otherwise, uh, the craving, the second noble cr- truth, and open to that possibility of the peace that's possible in any moment. You can say the peace that's really here in any moment when there's clarity or when our hearts are fully open. So that being the third noble truth, peace is possible in any moment. So sometimes the greatest gift of loving kindness and compassion is just to be present for what is without taking action. And I'd like to share this story, a very moving story for me personally. And it's a story about the Brahma Viharas and about how compassion and wisdom arise together. So it's a story. One day I came in and um, went into a room, a man named Russell. I'd met him twice before, a very nice person, probably mid-late 80s. I didn't know him well at all. Um, but he was clear, clearly very near the end of his life. And I spent the next six hours with him as his life came to an end. He'd already lost his, his sight in a few hours before I came into his room. Still had sensation in one hand and one arm, but not the other. But his presence and the radiant presence of the heart was so strong, the luminosity of that heart quality. And there was no sense of wanting or needing things to be otherwise. Sense of great peace. And the Brahma Vihara is just arising in that place of dying, in that place right before death, loving kindness, so strongly present, so clear, not mine, not his, just the loving present, <coughs> presence of the loving kindness. And in a moment, compassion might arise, compassion arose, and joy. I was laughing at times. And I could truly see the beautiful quality of the heart, the perfection of the heart. 
and really all distinctions between Russell and I disappeared. There was just these beautiful divine abodes that were present. So it inspires, inspiring for my practice to, to realize so deeply that peace, that happiness, the joy, loving kindness is possible even at the moment of death. It's not possible at any moment, even right now, in any moment of our lives. No need for things to be otherwise in any moment. So we really let go of these distinctions as the practice develops. And we let go of any distinctions of better than or worse than or inferior or superior or wanting this or that kind of experience. Just to be present. Just to be present with this practice of cultivating the heart-mind of loving-kindness, allowing the Dharma to do its work allowing the purification process to unfold on its own. We're really just to stay out of the way and bring ease, kindness, gentleness in every moment to have that intention. I'd like to offer a quote on the just uh, in coming to an end on the kind of the ordinary practice of loving kindness and compassion in daily life. And this is a quote from a book that I've uh, just recently started reading, written by Zenju Earthland Manuel, way of ten, uh, The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender. So the quote My Louisiana parents taught me that in nodding hello, you let folks know that you see them, not their face, but their lives. Everyone performed this acknowledgement, despite the other embodiment. We did it right in the midst of an environment in which harmful discrimination was everywhere. We honored each life. So this power of compassion to open <clears throat> open to feeling compassion to even to those who are causing harm who have ill will or hate, hatred this power of loving kindness that is ultimately boundless unconditional so we really transform our relationship to suffering transform our hearts through this practice and recognize that, as Mingyur Rinpoche says, compassion is always with us. It always has been and always will be. And to end with a quote from His Holiness the Dalai Lama, love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, Humanity cannot survive. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. 
So let's sit for a few minutes. I invite you to return to your practice with the phrases. We'll sit for perhaps five minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.